Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of our podcast, Here's the Thing Though. My name is Saliha, and I'm your host for today. I'm here with my producer slash editor, Mitch Price. Hello. Before we begin, we'd like to acknowledge the Darug and Kuringai people, who are the traditional owners of the land that we are recording on today. We'd like to pay our respects to all First Nations people, past, present, and future. We're recording on stolen land, and sovereignty was never ceded. So Mitch, how's it going? How's your week been? What have you been up to? It's been pretty good, I guess. I'm a little bit frustrated right now as we've spent the past few hours trying to sort out some uh, some audio issues, but we've reverted to our old setup. So hopefully, hopefully it sounds okay. Um, otherwise, we saw a really good movie actually the other day. We went out. Uh, Mitch's movie minute is Mitch's movie. <laughs> <laughs> no, we. I, I I took you to see a really great film by Eliza Hitman called Never. No, never, rarely, sometimes, n- always. Never, rarely, sometimes, always. It you was got a it. very. There we go. Um, oh, what did you think? I thought it was fantastic. I thought it was a really sort of gripping emotional story. It's about um, uh, these two teenagers tr- uh, living in rural, rural Pennsylvania, trek it down to New York uh, when they find out they have an unwanted pregnancy. Uh, and it's a story about, I guess, uh, bodily autonomy abortion rights, uh, and sort of inequity in America. And what did you think? I really loved it. I was a bit worried going in there because I can find, like, heavy movies around, like, abortion and pregnancy and stuff quite triggering and sad. I mean, I I never want to watch women go through shit, you know? That real life is sad enough. But I actually really loved the movie and I didn't find it as difficult as I thought I would because I think it was just so, it's so candid, it's so honest, but like not in a way where it shows you, you know, the grim, dark, awful reality, like a lot of kind of politically motivated movies do where they kind of like show you viscerally violent elements of society to try and get you to feel something. And I don't think this movie is like that. It's actually quite soft and it softens the issue in a way that actually works. And if anything makes you more sympathetic to like abortion rights um, and women's rights and class inequality. It's it's actually quite a beautiful film, I think. I really liked it. As a woman, I really, really loved it. I think the way they told the story was so good. And watching it, it's like you know they have consulted women. You know what I mean? Like it's not a, a movie about women by men. It's like actually it very much reaches the essence of a lot of our experiences. I thought it was very honest, candid. Very good storytelling. Yeah, so that's my recommendation for the week. Never sometimes, no, never rarely, sometimes always. Never rarely, sometimes always. (laughs) Definitely the best film of the year. Very well directed, uh, very well acted, a must watch. Yes, definitely recommend. Anyways, how has your week been, Saliha? Um, Aside from that, I've either like worked or like wallowed. (laughs) I don't know. I feel like there's just been so much bad news lately and there's always bad news but I just maybe I've just been feeling a little bit more sensitive than usual I'm not sure but I feel like I've just struggled a little bit with it to be honest so I have been binging Jane the Virgin pretty much I've watched the whole season in like a week and I'm on season two now (laughs) Uh, which a bunch of you actually recommended a while ago when I put a story up asking for like feel-good tv shows and I just want to say I love it so much thank you 
It's been so nice and cathartic to just, like, binge this feel-good TV show that's actually, like, surprisingly quite good. I don't think I expected it to be as good as it is, especially because, like, all the news, especially with, like, France. Um, I've been sharing some stories on Instagram. If you follow me, you would have seen about just, like, uh, new measures by President Macron against Muslim citizens. It is very concerning. There's, like, a numbering system for Muslim kids, which just screams... Uh, oncoming genocide so <laughs> it's been maybe a distressing week in terms of news but I have been hiding behind Jane the Virgin and I am really enjoying it although I have a question for people who listen engage us in the socials about this do you find the portrayal of lesbianism in this show problematic because I kind of do and it's probably like my only real criticism that and potentially the fact that like there are some weird mildly sexist portrayals of women, I think, because, like, it seems like all the villains are sexually promiscuous and then, like, our dear Jane the Virgin, the only pure woman, is also a virgin. I don't know. I feel like there are some, like, weird anti-lesbian, anti-sex, like, elements in the show, but they're quite subtle. But I I did notice it. So I am wondering if other people noticed it and if you guys thought about it because it's not lost upon me the connections between sexual promiscuity in women and like villainous qualities. So definitely something to think about, but I still love it, even though it's problematic. I love Jane the Virgin. Cool. <laughs> I'm not, I, I haven't seen any of it yet, but I'm sure. I'm probably going to make him watch some tonight because I want to goss with Mitch about it. There we go. <laughs> On that next week, I can give my review. Um, so I guess we can just jump straight into our topic today because we don't really have too much follow up from last week since it was a QA. Um, so today we're going to talk about. A cab. All cops are bastards is what it stands for. Oh my. Oh my. Uh, you guys sort of heard us talk about how pro A cab we are or how A cab we are in previous episodes. And I have received some questions about that uh, on Instagram DMs and stuff, just people asking for clarification on what that means and why we think those things. So that's kind of what we're going to do this episode. We're going to discuss A cab, the history of policing, our positions on it, what it is as a movement, what it means, etc. So today is like. An ACAB explainer episode. ACAB. ACAB. <laughs> so let's get into it. Before we start, I just want to give a content warning because we will be talking about police brutality um, and in particular we'll be talking about police brutality against uh, First Nations people and I will be detailing, not in too much depth, but I will be mentioning some cases. So I will be talking about some violent stuff uh, and I will be mentioning some sexual assault cases as well, and some domestic violence cases. So please proceed with caution, take care of yourself, and if things get a bit hard, just turn it off, okay? Love you. Okay, so what is a cab is probably a good place to start. Something that makes my mother upset. Yes, Mitch gets into so many arguments with his mum about this, honestly. It's so awkward because I'm, like, sitting there, and as a brown girl, it is, like, fundamentally against my values to argue with my mother like that. (laughs) I'm just like, I don't know what to do. (laughs) Um, But anyway, the term ACAB has been around since at least the 1920s, and it kind of became entrenched in language and politics in the 1970s, which is kind of when it was more popularised, and, like, journalists started to use it and stuff. Uh, there was, I think, a movie that said something like All Cops Are Bastards that kind of brought this more into the forefront of conversations, but it's been increasingly popular as the Black Lives Matter movement grows stronger every day. And the murder of George Floyd earlier this year in Minneapolis saw ACAB as a movement that kind of really hit the spotlight in ways that I've honestly never seen before 
in my lifetime. Like, I can't imagine this ever happening in the last two decades, at least. It's pretty, pretty wild. Uh, as we said in previous episodes, we are firmly ACAB, fuck the police, etc., etc. Um, but yeah, so basically what ACAB stands for is all cops are bastards. Yes, even your dad, uncle, sister, neighbor, whatever. But don't panic yet because we will explain what that means as we keep going. Before I get into why all cops are bastards, though, we are going to discuss a little bit of history of policing and what the police actually are as an institution. Okay? Cool. (laughs) I'm ready to learn. Ready to learn. So, in America, police were actually initially slave catchers. You can Google this. There's a really good uh, The Conversation article about it that is written because the conversation as a website, they're usually written by like scholars or like people in academia. So then you can usually trust a lot of the articles. And they have a really good one about American police and how they, yeah, started off as slave catchers and it was their actual job to round up rebellious slaves or like escaped slaves and return them to their owners. Uh, yep, the police didn't really exist in their current form before slavery. After slavery was outlawed and moved to the prison system because, yep, slavery is legal in American prisons. Uh, these groups eventually turned into law enforcement, which is now like modern-day American police. They went from rounding up escaped slaves to imprisoning black people into the prison system because guess what? Slavery as a way to punish criminals is the new slavery. It's the loophole in the 13th Amendment that essentially allows slavery so long as it's like in a prison institution. So prisons are now a way to extract free slave labor and continue on the slavery of black Americans in a legal fashion. And now you know why the private prison business is booming. In Australia, the first police force was modelled after uh, the British police and specifically designed to be like the Irish model, quote-unquote, a.k.a. the model of policing that the British used to subjugate Irish people because, as a lot of you probably know, Irish people were considered like an ethnic, racialized minority back in the day and the British fucked them over big time. So the Australian police have quite a long and bloody history in the way they violently enforced assimilation uh, and tore apart Aboriginal families post-colonisation. There's this really fantastic study called All Mothers' Sons Are Guilty, obviously a safer work version of All Cops Are Bastards, uh, that studies policing in the Kimberley region of Western Australia between 1882 and 1905. It details how the police were basically just all white supremacists that saw First Nations people as like these uncivilised criminals and that they viewed their job as a mission to civilise aka tear up Aboriginal society. There's, again, another really great article on the history of Australian police, particularly in relation to the subjugation of Aboriginal people uh, on the conversation, which details, like, just the disgusting, like, history of American Australian policing. So highly recommend reading them if you want a more in-depth dive into understanding how the police became what they are. They're very, very good. But regardless of whether we're talking about the US or Australia, the police's current legal role by definition is actually law enforcement. Not to protect you, not to serve you, even if that's what their PR slogan is. Their job is to enforce the law. Like that is it. That is their role. Their loyalty is not to like justice or crime fighting or all these other really romanticized ideas of cops that we have. It is to enforce the laws of the state, period regardless of if those laws are just or not. Because you got to remember, back in the day, fighting Nazis was illegal. When you remember that the Holocaust was legal, slavery was legal, apartheid was legal, the genocide of First Nations people was legal, 
It's clear that the state is not and never has been a reflection of justice. So if the state is making racist, classist, homophobic, misogynistic, etc. laws, and a police officer's job is to enforce that law, regardless of who it hurts or how fair it is, then inherently the police are going to end up hurting marginalised groups that the state is oppressing because marginalised groups are marginalised because of the capitalist, colonialist state. I know some people are going to say, but I've had good experiences with cops. And that's great. I am genuinely happy for you because obviously I don't want you to experience police brutality. But consider why you have had good experiences with cops. Consider what crime it was that was being dealt with. Consider your place in society, any privileges you have, any be it class or racial. Were you getting good like help from the cops because you were a sexual assault survivor or was it because like something was stolen? There are different ways that the cops handle different situations and some tend to do well more than others. Because I'm a brown Muslim girl that grew up in a DV household in a low socioeconomic area, I can tell you quite honestly that I have had very terrible experiences with the police. Uh, When I was a kid and my mother was trying to get us out of our DV situation, the police just brushed her off. She tried station after station until we ended up getting help from a precinct that was literally an entire hour away from us. It shouldn't be that fucking hard. You shouldn't have to, like fight and argue with cops to help you when your life is in danger. And we had to do that because the truth is they're not really there to protect you. They're there to to help the state. And any protection or care you receive as a result of police work is more like a positive side effect of their role, not like the purpose of it. Uh, Law enforcement's job is to enforce state laws and regulations. And while maybe that doesn't sound super insidious or like anything that's bad, When you couple it with the fact that not all laws are just or right, that the state doesn't have a duty of care over us, that the Australian police, I googled this and fact-checked it, actually do not have a duty of care to protect their citizens, you can see how police are a problematic institution. Like, when you give a group that much power, the power to arrest, to strip search, to whatever, and then they don't have a responsibility to protect you, things get messy really fucking quickly. Yeah, and bringing it back to the origin where police originated in the slave trade, we have to think about why these laws are even in place and what these laws are attempting to appeal to. As as we can see with the slave trade, it's appealing to protect property, not to benefit the community, not to keep things civil, but to enforce property for people who own property and exclude others. And that just like relates back to capitalism and I guess why we're anti-capitalists, because the value of product over people is very much a capitalistic uh, idea. And so it kind of makes sense how the police can become that in a society that does value products and goods and profits over people's lives. The police are not here to protect you. But if they do, that's great. But that, that's not what they're here to do. That's that's just something that occasionally happens. <laughs> um, if they protect you, it's because protecting people will ultimately protect property. Yes, Exactly. Exactly. It's kind of, they've got an ulterior motive and protecting you helps them do what they are supposed to be doing for the state. Uh, Speaking of the police being a problematic institution, let's actually talk about police corruption and why all cops are bastards, even your uncle, cousin, dad, sister, neighbour, whatever. Okay, let's get into why that is. Uh, I think just before that, though, we should discuss that ACAP doesn't necessarily mean that every single cop individually is a horrible, murderous piece of shit. Like, that's not what it means. Though many are, I'm sure. I'm sure there's many cops who are murderous pieces of shit, but that doesn't, that's not what ACAB means. 
It doesn't mean that every cop in existence is a murderer. It means that enough of them are and that all of them could be without consequence and with encouragement from the state. It's the fact that all cops have been enabled to do horrible things, whether or not they do. Uh, The police institution actually allows for corruption and the potential for murder and abuse to go unchallenged. It actively encourages uh, corruption, to be honest, because when corruption is challenged, the cop that's uncovering that corruption is typically fired or resigns, which is why reforming it from the inside doesn't work. I know there are plenty of people of colour who join the police in an effort to, like, be the difference, you know. Um, Recently, in the last week, there's been news... In New Zealand with a recent uh, hijabi officer, I think she's the first hijabi officer in a particular area of New Zealand or whatever, but she's made, like, headlines. And the reason she joined the police force was because of the Christchurch terror attack on Muslims and how she wants to protect her community. I don't think she's a horrible person. Of course not. Uh, But it's more just, like, by joining the police, when people around you are committing crimes as police officers, you are part of that group. That is a group that you're part of, and if you're not stopping them then you're a complicit, right? Yeah, when we're talking about ACAB, we're sort of looking at two different angles. One is the individual. And I mean, we can talk about negative experiences we've had with the individual cops. But the other one, the other side, when we talk about all cops are bad, it's institutional, it's systemic, it's about the role of police and the monopoly that the police have on violence. Um, so it's important to look at both those separately because it's easy to get caught up in sort of uh, moralistic or individualistic arguments that that can easily be dismissed by showing the example of one good quote-unquote quote, cop. Quote. Yeah, like, just because one cop with pure intentions joins a force, that doesn't really change anything because that force still uses its powers to terrorise marginalised communities. And any cops that join with good intentions are still complacent and therefore ACAB still applies. The police system also is just, like, known for punishing good cops and rewarding bad ones. Uh, I can give you a list of cops that actually, like, did expose corruption and were then fired. Kurt Stansbury is a cop that fired, that was fired for exposing corruption. Ray Lewis was arrested for protesting corruption. Shanna Lopez was fired for reporting a cop who was a sexual predator. Carol Horn fired for stopping an incident of police abuse. Andrew Heath was driven to suicide for being a whistleblower. Joe Crystal was fired for turning in fellow cops for brutality. Regina Tasker was fired for stopping an incident of police abuse. And Laura Shook was fired for exposing corruption. There are so many stories like this. These are American cops, but if you want an Australian example, an ex-policeman from Perth who served from 2002 to 2012 made a statement to the Aboriginal Human Rights Commission page detailing all the horrific and targeted racism that he saw from his fellow police officers during his time that he served. It's pretty heavy reading uh, if you want to Google it, but he discusses how he frequently saw senior officers actively manipulating junior officers so that they would develop a violent and racist hatred of First Nations people. Like, he described it as brainwashing, actually. He details, like, the normal language used by police to refer to Aboriginal people, and it's pretty fucking horrific. It's very derogatory. Like, I'm just not even going to bother repeating any of it here because it's gross. I don't recommend reading it if that's going to be troubling for you because it's pretty triggering. Um, he talks about how peop- how police officers would, like, remove their name badges and then go up to First Nations people and provoke them, you know, saying things like, this is our land now, we've taken it from you, blah, 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 like, hitting a nerve. And then inevitably when that person gets upset or even, like, raises their voice, that's it, arrested, stuck in the back of a van. Like, they, like, go out there and target First Nations people as a minority and it is a systemic issue that, like, 
entire groups of cops, entire precincts, entire communities of cops all do together and brainwash each other into. He even talks about police actually looking for First Nations people to arrest in the last hour of their shift because then they get overtime because, like, their arrest will spill over into outside of their shift time. It's fucking crazy. And this is from 2002, 2012. This is not that long ago. This is in this decade. This is recent. And he, like, talks about so... It's... I've only given you a small snippet. There's, like, a three-page... Like, it's, it's, it's horrific. Um... There's way more stuff in the statement about police giving First Nations people move on notices for no reason than arresting them if they fight it. It's horrible, but quite frankly, a very, very accurate description of what cops are like. And if you want more specific examples of how fucked up the police are, I can give you that too. (laughs) Um, I covered a lot of police brutality cases when I was working as a staff writer, and so I've got an arsenal of stories for you guys. Just months, just like several months ago, a police officer in Sydney violently drop kicked a 16-year-old First Nations kid to the ground. I'm sure a lot of you heard about it because it was caught on footage, which you can find literally on Google or Twitter. It's pretty fucking bad. When the kid falls over, you can hear his jaw hitting the ground and it's just like, it's sickening the sound that he makes. It's just, it's awful. And you would think that that would have resulted in like the sacking of the officer and who assaulted him because he was an actual child and it was unlawful, but nope. In fact, the God, the New South Wales Police Commissioner appeared on radio the mo- like the next morning for an interview, and he literally said that the officer was just having a bad day, and that he was more disgusted with what the kid said to the cop than the cop's violent response, because apparently the kid was like mouthing off. A bad day. I work in retail. I have a bad day every fucking day. I've had men try to physically intimidate me and threaten me at work. You can't count the amount of Karens that have, like, verbally abused me. Imagine if I just lost my shit and drop-kicked one of them. Do you think my boss would chalk it up to a bad day? No, because you can't just assault random people, especially just because they said something to you. But clearly, the police are above the law because that man still has his job and the fucking commissioner defended and protected him on the news and on the radio to the public. Like this, this is what state enforced genocide looks like in the modern day. Speaking of cops not being fired for assaulting civilians, I have another tragic story for you. One of the countless ones that exist, I'm sure. A police officer was convicted, and I mean like for real, you know, in court, like convicted of assaulting an indigenous teen in custody in 2019. And that police officer still has his job and is still working in the place that he assaulted that teen in, despite the fact that he was literally convicted for it. ABC actually obtained footage of senior constable James Ian Murray, that's his name, slamming 18-year-old Patrick Little's head into a wall at Goulburn Police Station and then throwing him at a cell door. Senior constable. This man is a senior constable who still has his job despite the fact that he has been criminally convicted of common assault against an 18-year-old Indigenous kid. How is it that a police officer can be convicted of brutally assaulting a teenager and then just go about his job as normal? Like, law enforcement is this man's job! (laughs) So how is it possible to break the law himself and then maintain his service? This is why we're ACAB. This is why we don't have faith in the police. This is why we don't trust the system and it's just goes to show that reform isn't going to get us anywhere because even when you do take a police officer to the court and you win and you get him convicted for assaulting 
an indigenous prisoner that he had in custody, he still keeps his job. This is the same in America with, like, Breonna Taylor's killers still having their job, with every other black person that was murdered by the police state still, like, the police officers still maintaining their jobs. How long do they have to riot and fight to get even, like, any remote justice for George Floyd or Breonna Taylor or the countless other names, right? It's because it just, it doesn't work. You can't reform this shit. The system isn't designed that way. The police have been an active agent in violently oppressing First Nations people in Australia uh, since it was established as a colony. And like we said in our episode on the jab-wearing trees, police are the oppressors of marginalised groups all around the world. Be it black people, poor people, trans people, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, Native American people, they are always on the wrong side of the fight and they are never our allies. And we can see that in Mitch's conversation last time about the fact that even when companies are doing unlawful things and we legally protest it as our democratic right, the police will fuck us up, even though the company is legally in the wrong, even though the companies don't get to blow up sacred Aboriginal sites, even though that shit is illegal, cops are not assaulting them, they're assaulting us because they're not on our side. I mean, we can even see that in everyday occurrences. Like, what happens if you your house gets robbed, if, if, the, if, if a thief came in and you call the police? What are they going to do? They're going to come up five hours later seven hours later they'll come by with a little notepad write some notes down but they'll never get back to you they'll say oh there's not really anything we can do but if a retail store or a business calls up the police saying there's uh something being stolen they'll be there within 10 minutes yeah exactly you know what I mean? it just goes to show like what mitch said earlier about the fact that police are there to protect property in the yeah. state who are they there to serve they're there to serve the state the power of the state and the power of the capitalist class and the ruling class the people that actually um maintain power over our society and if those people have an interest in oppressing you as a marginalized group which they do and the police's job is to assist them then naturally we are going to be at odds the idea that there is no such thing as a good cop is referring to the occupation not the person so there's no such thing as being a good cop because there's no positive or good way that you can uphold oppressive state regimes and racist laws. There is no good way that you can be silent about police brutality and oppression. And you have to be silent about police brutality and, opp- and oppression in the police force to keep your job. So it's just this catch-22, right? You can't win. You can't be a good cop because to, to maintain your like status as a cop, you have to let other cops get away with bad things. And therefore, you are complacent And therefore, there are no, quote-unquote, good cops. The institution does not allow it. Yeah. Any cop who hears of, witnesses, or is complicit to any form of racism, violence, sexism, misogyny, transmisogyny, whatever, in their workplace, is a bad cop. Which is all cops. So, by definition, ACAB. And while ACAB doesn't mean that every cop kills or assaults or violates people, it means every cop could and they would get away with it with no consequences as we have seen time and time and time and time and time again. Inevitably, when talking about ACAB, there's always someone who says, what about the rapists and the murderers? Who's going to catch them and lock them up? Who's going to catch the pedophiles? I hate to break it to you, hun, but rapists and murderers are running amok already. Like, the vast majority of rapists walk free. It's something like 2% of them that actually like face legal consequences of their actions and get convicted for sexual assault. The system is already failing sexual assault and DV survivors, and it always has. 
there is an extensive history of the police failing women. Just look at the Australian stats of domestic violence, of a woman dying every week at the hand of a current or former partner, and the fact that heaps of cops are abusive themselves. Think about the cop who leaked a DV victim's whereabouts to her husband because he was friends with him, and then that guy went and beat her. Like... The cops are not saving you from anybody and they're probably more dangerous to you than the average person that you're walking past in the street. Think about every story you've ever heard where a woman has been denied justice in court for sexual assault because her dress was short or the underwear she was wearing was nice or it was her fault because she was alone, blah, blah, blah. Think about all the children who are sexually assaulted as kids who come forward later in life and then never receive their justice because by then the case is old and evidence is stale. There are so many examples of, like, bad people walking free on the street and not getting jailed. Think about the Donald Trumps, Joe Bidens, Jeffrey Epstein's of the world, rich and powerful men who have heaps of sexual assault allegations against them, who never end up really facing justice because the police can be bought out. One of them was just president for years. Think about, think about the fact that Kyle Rittenhouse, the white supremacist who murdered black people, two black people, I think, at protests in America a few months ago, is currently walking free and not in jail because he was let out on bail, while countless black Americans are denied bail for petty shit like stealing a backpack or smoking weed. Think about the fact that a recent report this year details that Victoria Police are having a crisis, quote-unquote, of family violence by serving officers. In the last five years, 82 Victorian police officers were charged with domestic violence-related offences, including rape, aggravated assault, and false imprisonment. Only one officer was found guilty. None of them were convicted. None were sacked or dismissed. Think about the American statistic that 40% of cops beat their wives even. Or think about the fact that New South Wales police spent $24 million on legal settlements, including for battery and false imprisonment. Or how about the fact that, you have, that the New South Wales Commissioner has publicly tried to justify stripping children and how there have been reports of police officers stripping kids as young as 10 years old. And yes, those kids are almost always Aboriginal. There are even reports of police stripping people in public with no screen so that everybody can see that individual naked, the most recent one being at Sydenham Station yeah, no, in Sydney. Speaking of strip searches, what is really fucked up is the implementation of quotas, at least with the New South Wales police. We're seeing reports all the time that police need to strip search a certain amount of people. This is fact-checked. As a journalist, I wrote an article on this. They do have quotas for strip searches. And there are quotas with so many things in the police. It Like, it's run like a business. For example... uh, I know in Victoria, there were reports that the amount of tolerance uh, with speed cameras, so it's an unknown amount, but you're allowed to go maybe a couple of kilometers over the speed limit before the camera uh, will fine you. But they will adjust the tolerance of how much over you can go, uh, depending on how much revenue they need to make, depending on how below on fines they are, which means that it is an economic activity fining. Uh, Speaking of that, what we see every year in the federal budget is that in the revenue uh, section, there is a certain amount allocated to the predicted fines, which means that police need to find people uh, in order to fund the state. It's no longer an activity of like the. It's not. It's not law enforcement. They actually like need to force you to commit a crime so they can fine you for it, so that they can make money for it. Like it's within their interest that you commit this crime, so they'll make a situation in which you do because then they can fine you for it, and then they can make money. It's like Mitch said with the speeding, for example, is when they don't need that much money, they'll adjust it so you can speed quite a bit. And it's like if speeding is wrong all the time, but we'll change how wrong it is depending on how much money we need, then like 
how is this really a crime and who's deciding the moralistic elements of it and is it, is it even moralistic right then then you start to think about like what the fuck is a crime even and who even decides what crimes are because there are a lot of things that are crimes right now like protesting in south wales at the moment they probably shouldn't be crimes but at the moment new south wales police at least i can't speak for other states at the moment has been finding the fuck out of protesters despite the fact that we're allowed to have public gatherings and we're allowed to like go to the footy and stuff but if you have like five people protesting they're fined a thousand dollars each for violating like public orders well it's to instill a culture of fear a culture of surveillance and money and money like is is it uh, do the police exist to serve the people or serve the state and it's obviously serve the state obviously. i guess that's the argument that we're making here yeah right and so like going back to what i was talking about with the fact that people worry about like oh the criminals are going to run free it's like who are we afraid of when we talk about criminals running free if we abolish the police who are you talking about because like i said earlier with like all the rapists murderers rich powerful men that have been fucking over the world and women and everybody else they're all walking free like think about all the deaths that our government is responsible for okay who is actually endangering you because it's not the random teen the random like marginalized teens in prison that are there for like doing weed you know what i mean like actually like the vast majority of prisoners are either First Nations, Black, of other marginalised racial groups, they're from low socioeconomic backgrounds, they're often there for crimes of poverty, and actually, you know, being poor is a crime in a cover society. It's why move-on orders and loitering charges exist, because if you criminalise the poor and the homeless, then you don't need to feed or house them. You don't need to help them. So, like, who are we afraid of? So many cops are criminals. Our government leaders are criminals. The Australian government literally violates international law every day with its torture of refugees in detention centres. We have moralised prisoners that police lock up when in reality they are more often than not victims. Because yes, maybe some murderers and rapists get locked up, but the vast majority of people in prison are not in there for violent crimes. They're often in there for things like the war on drugs, which in itself was created to target black communities because if you can't arrest people for being black you can arrest them for stuff that they do as mm. black people and we know also that at least in australia like the the amount of drug use is pretty much the same across all socioeconomic yeah classes. but despite that it's typically black communities that are targeted because the police go and like if you think about like drugs drugs are fucking expensive you know who's doing a lot of drugs rich white uni students I'm telling you that right now. College, rich white college kids are doing a lot of fucking drugs. You know who's getting arrested for drugs? Poor black kids. Mm-hmm. Because it's it's within the interest of the state. I mean, if we talk about America and like the prison industry as like slavery, this is just this is just modern day slavery. Putting black kids into fucking prison slash plantations by criminalizing just their existence in a way that we don't to like any other group for doing the exact same shit. Do you know anyone that has uh, gone on to become a cop or want- wanted to be a cop? Oh, you know what? You want to know something? Yeah. When I was like 10, I wanted to be a cop. <gasps> but I used edit to- that out. <laughs> Cancelled. No, I, look, I used to watch like a lot of like, here's the thing, there's so much propaganda in the world. I used to watch all these like criminal minds and like detective shows and like it really romanticizes being a cop and you're like, look at me, I'm going to save these children from being kidnapped. And then you actually have experiences with cops and you're like, wow, yeah. get... But when you're young, they're seen as community heroes. Yeah, and, and it's all cop again, bro. Paw Patrol, it's cop propaganda. <laughs> right, that's, that's just Paw Patrol, and I'm like, please no. Yeah, put down the the cop dog. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> <laughs> but like, yeah, it's just we're surrounded by propaganda, and then like, 
you actually have experiences with cops and their shit. This is a slight tangent, but I know you all love our tangents. Um, I was on the train like a few months ago, and for the, this was like just before I made the silly her official account. I think I'm not sure which of my Instagrams it was on. It was either my private or public one. But I was like putting up stories because there were a bunch of cops on my train, and they were like actually talking about the corrupt shit that they do, like on the train. And this was in between. It was like in between Hustle and Cogra area, and I can't really say what precinct they were from because I don't want to get in trouble by fucking cops coming at my door for snitching. Unfortunately, that is just the way the system runs. But I recorded some of it, so I literally have it on audio. Um, yeah. And they're, like, just, like, complaining. And then... Because this was, like, during George Floyd times. So they were, like, talking about the riot. And they were talking about, like, how dumb people are for wanting to fight cops. And, like, can't they see? We're just... You know, they need us. Like, what are they going to do without us? And it was, like... It was just the most entitled fuckery I'd ever heard in my life. And I was, like, live... Kind of, like, live storying it. And people were just like, is this real? Like, are you actually posting this? And I was like, yeah, like, this is happening right in front of my fucking eyes. I can see them. Because cops are, like, have you... I don't know if you, how much you've interacted with cops, Mitch, but, like, most of my interactions with cops have been pretty fucked. I also go to a lot of protests, and the the cops in Sydney, at least, are pretty heavy-handed with protesters. I went to a protest once of 20 people, which is nothing. 20 people, pre-COVID time, so it's not even, like... This was not okay. You're allowed to protest, like, 20 of you. And I saw them grab and frog march a girl that was, like, my height. I'm 5'2", but skinnier. Like, she was tiny. And they, like, frog marched her and, like, pushed her and shoved her. I've had my other friends being shoved in, like, by cops. I mean, you guys know, uh, a lot of you, that around this time last year, I was denied entry into a bar for wearing a hijab. A cop came over and gave me a move-on order for, like standing near the bar that denied me entry because he was like well what are you doing standing around here like what are you like he was like coming in and like harassing us and we were just like um hello aren't you gonna do anything about this i just got like not let into a club because of my hijab isn't this like fucking discriminatory and he was like actually the discrimination uh What's it like law? No, whatever. The discrimination, the discrimination act. act is that's a- what I was in. The, the discrimination act is a gray area but you're violating some other law where you can't stand within 30 meters of a like a bar or club that hasn't let you in. And then I was like, fucking are ridiculous. you fucking serious? Like, is that what you're going to focus on right now? Yeah. And then, oh, I forgot his name. I wish I remembered. But his boss, senior constable James, <laughs> kind of came up because we were getting pretty fucking pissed off that I was getting in trouble and told to move on because I was not let into mm. a bar. And we have a lot of this. I mean, it's on video. You can probably look up my five-way article. I think I put up some of this video in there. Um, but it was just, like, them totally not siding with me and then, like, telling me that I need to leave when I was the one not let in because I wear a hijab. Like, are you fucking serious? These, these are my these are my experiences with cops. I've had cops push me. I've had cops shove me. And I'm, like, you know, a law-abiding citizen. Not that it should matter. <laughs> not that... I mean, even if you commit crimes, doesn't mean you get to be assaulted by cops. But I have literally never done anything that should have required me to, like, have some discipline or anything like that. I've just existed. I, yeah. It's fucked. I know that was a tangent, but I just, like, wanted to reiterate. I mean, speaking of tangents. <laughs> Go on. I just feel like everyone I know that has either gone on to become a cop or want to be a cop are just, like, absolute idiots. <laughs> just I remember talking to this one dude who was training to be a cop from my high school, and he's just talking about how he really wants to... Uh, become a cop in Blacktown, like not his area, but he just wants to go to Blacktown because that's where all the crime is. <gasps> and he just, he just, he just wants to, you know, to. That angers me area. because I grew up in that area. I grew up in Mount Druitt. Yeah. I'm a Mount Druitt bitch, and people think that like it's really horrible there, but there's a really tight knit community of like 
Pakistani, Indian and Fijian people, like kind of like Desi people in that area who really take care of each other. That's where I grew up. Like I grew up in in like the heart of Mount Druitt and I was fine because of my tight-knit community. But yeah, we're so fucking criminalised. Oh, yeah. who this guy is? Get fucked. No, I hate when people talk shit about Mount Druitt and Black Town well, and stuff. Well, it's just like ideally, ideally a cop wants to see no crime. Right? right? <laughs> that's, that's the dream that you, you're not needed. But no, cops, is, they, they love the idea of just being able to go into a community and, and just feel like the big hero. Yeah, they're they're just waiting the for the day to be able to, to use their gun or to be able to use excessive force because they're just... Yeah, because it's a, a power thing. And I mean, even if... Look, here we go, another tangent, but I'll be quick, I promise. Even if you look at things like the Stanford prison experiment, like, yes, it was a very flawed experiment. What it taught us is... Because a lot of people think, or I guess what it intended to show was that humans are fundamentally violent. No, it is people drawn to positions of disciplinary power are fundamentally violent. They have recreated the study where they have changed ads. So that Because the initial study, like, asked for people to play security guard. And oh, then yeah, it, and no, then that it, study is fucking nonsense. Yeah, no, it, it is nonsense. But what it ended up showing, like, accidentally, is that people who respond to those things, people who want to be involved in things like prison management or police or security guards, they tend to be violent and have aggressive mm. personality testing. Because, like, the BBC has recreated this with completely different circumstances. And, yes, of course, then it didn't have a lot of violence because there are other studies that have like tried to recreate the Stanford prison experiment where they've like randomly selected people and then no surprise here it didn't end up being super violent it only ends up being violent when you specifically ask for people to be part of these kinds of experiments anyway the point I'm trying to make is that the police are fucked and also a lot of people join the police for the wrong reasons okay But, you know, these were all tangents. I was talking about prisons. (laughs) What I was saying was that, you know, a huge percentage of the people who are in prisons are from marginalized backgrounds. Also, a huge percentage of people that are in prisons are also mentally ill because, yes, we criminalize that too. Most of the people in prisons, they don't need to be there. And most of the people who need to be in prison aren't. Because the truth is, prison is just a tool for cops in the state to lock up, punish, and exploit a lot of marginalized communities. So, yeah, we're ACAB and we're for prison abolishment. (gasps) But that's an episode for another day. Yes. (laughs) Another thing I want to mention is how people say, well, who will you call when you are in trouble and need the cops? But what's often not noted here is that a lot of us don't call the cops. Because for a lot of us marginalized communities who are often targeted and racially profiled by cops, we don't go to them. We sort out our issues in our own communities. And a really great example of that is uh, an article posting I was reading not that long ago about a black community in America where a couple of uh, teenage girls from that community had gone missing and the police refused to investigate it because they maintained that the girls must have just run away or they were just like, you know, out doing their own thing. You know, in classic racist police fashion who refused to look for women of marginalised communities. But anyway, the family and the neighbours went like door to door. They like formed a search party to find the girls and they actually did. They eventually found the girls. It was a wonderful miracle but also pretty fucked up because these girls are basically trafficked and they found like the trafficking hub. And they called the cops for assistance and they did not come. The, the, the cops didn't come till like 14 hours later. <laughs> and they ended, so these people ended up rescuing a bunch of kids from trafficking all on their own. Because the truth is, plenty of communities are already existing without police assistance. Because for a lot of us, the police do more harm than good. We don't call them. We don't actually call them. That might be alien to some of you, but that's a privilege because a lot of us learn to do shit on our own. And if you're the kind of person who actually, like, has genuinely received really good help and protection from the police, consider why. 
and dissect what privileges you have that actually enabled that. So, if the police are basically a private military force that maintain the status quo for the wealthy elite and the state's interest through violence and colonialism, should we dismantle the social system that allows them to exist in the first place? Yes, that is why we want to abolish the police. Because honestly, two years ago, this was a fringe movement. But after the death of George Floyd and the Minneapolis riots, it's like reignited this like new fire into the movement to abolish police. And now, like, it's no longer radical. I feel like so many people, because this whole defund the police is just the first step to abolishing the police. It's actually becoming quite a common, I guess, thing that people want, which makes me really happy. Because there are a lot of, look, there are a lot of ways that people think we should abolish the police. Mitch and I are anti-capitalists and so we believe that the current capitalist system we live in needs to be abolished for us to like actually receive the justice that we want. Because the power imbalances that capitalism gives to the state and the wealthy elite is what allows cops to do what they are doing in the first place. Probably the most popular movement though at the moment is to defund the police. Uh, so I guess it's a reformist way of approaching it. Um, so to, to defund the police entirely and redistribute that money into community services that actually support communities, which would inherently decrease crime as most crimes are a response to poverty or abuse or other kind of systemic issues. If you fulfill people's needs of safety, resources, food, etc., then you decrease crime. Yeah. And also like a lot of issues just don't require a person with like a gun and a baton. Yeah, exactly. It's like, I mean, walking around with a gun is just an implicit threat. You can't just walk down the street and not, it just be a threat if a dude's holding a fucking gun. But, you know, with a lot of mental health issues, we don't need someone who is prepared to use physical force and restraint uh, in order to solve that situation. There are other institutions already existing. We don't have to create new ones. We just have to... Yeah, they're all there. ...redistribute our, I guess, priorities and the way we, we fund these sort of things and the roles that these institutions have. Yeah, because I'm all for defending the police. Imagine if we just, like, closed down the cops as an institution and we gave all the money that cops make and that we give them in the federal budget to schools, domestic violence support, rehab centres, crisis staff trained in medical support and de-escalation, safe injection sites, social workers, community outreach, free healthcare, food services. We need to expand the support networks required to help people break the criminal cycle for those that are in it because, quite frankly, all the time they're in it because of social and economic risk factors. It's the first step in an eventual abolishment of police where safety is, like, led by the community and, the, and like... The support and uplift of the vulnerable uh, is what we kind of focus of focus on instead of criminalizing them. Like, imagine if we created a society that fulfills needs so that crime isn't necessary. Because in the current system, it is to survive. A lot of people have to commit crimes to survive. People see this as like radical or unrealistic, but it's not true. We've been defunding things like education, women's services, domestic violence support, environment like groups for ages. Where our government is very good at defunding things, let me tell you. (laughs) (laughs) The police haven't existed for that long. They really haven't. They've only been here for a couple hundred years. We've existed without them before. Um, And honestly, people thought that slavery would never be abolished. But it was. It was initially called unrealistic. People used scaremongering, you know, around, like, the idea of the economy and, like, we need slaves for our economy. How is our society going to function without slaves? How are we going to do all these things that slaves do for us if we don't have them? There were all these ideas about, like, we can't imagine a society without slaves and now we've abolished to an extent slavery and it's like now it seems heinous there is so much that we can imagine like to create a better world those things aren't necessary for size those things aren't necessary for society to function they never have been a more loving supportive police free world is absolutely possible 
We just have to want it badly enough to actually properly fight for it. And I genuinely believe we can. For our Patreon listeners, we'll have uh, some bonus content up for you on the Patreon. We've got an 18-minute video. It was meant to be three minutes. But you know us. You know us. Uh, It's an 18-minute video of Mitch and I pretty much debating, like, the politics of guilty pleasures and if guilty pleasures should exist. And it kind of, like, it does kind of go in random places. Then we start talking about, like, the elitism of the arts and (laughs) I start talking about white men in my creative writing class and how much they suck. But it is pretty good and we're pretty happy with it and I think you'll enjoy listening to it. So for for our Patreon listeners and members and anybody who's considering setting up to our Patreon, we'll be having some fun stuff on there for you this week. This episode is sponsored by you, our listeners. Uh, Specifically, we'd like to thank some of our top tier patrons, which is Bronte, Katie, Liz and Beck. So thank you so much. If you thought our discussion today was interesting, thought-provoking, or something you learned from, please consider donating to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Saliha. If signing up isn't your thing, you can also donate to our PayPal link at paypal.me forward slash Saliha to support future episodes. Both the PayPal and Patreon links are in my Instagram bio, so check them out over there at Saliha Official, and give me a follow if you liked today's episode. And uh, check out my Instagram at mitches.miscellanea for discussions on film, music, and whatnot. Also, if you have any comments or suggestions or you want to add to the discussion, you can DM me or email us at here's the thing though podcast at gmail.com. And please include your name, pronouns, and any other important f- info. And of course, remember to follow and subscribe. It really helps the podcast get out there. Cool. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.